When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there. Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists and, ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia LaPercaro, and this is a special bonus episode with Name Three Songs. Fangirl kind of felt like a dirty word. And I think there, I think, like, honestly, when we started the podcast, that's what it felt like. And we were like, no, we need to reclaim this. And I think because of, because of TikTok and because of COVID, women who grew up with these experiences then going online to be like, feel like this is not something I want to be a part of anymore and like reclaiming that fangirlhood for themselves. Hello, hello. It's me, Sophia. Welcome back to Before the Chorus on a Thursday. Something a little bit different. As I said in the introduction, this is a special bonus episode. As you know, Pretty much every interview that I do on this podcast is usually with musicians about the life stories behind their music, and it's something that I obviously love doing. I mean, I've been doing the podcast for four years, but I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to some fellow podcasters who are also in the music space, Sarah Fagan and Jenna Million from Name Three Songs. I have known these two since, I want to say like 2016, 2017. I'll say this again during the podcast episode, but... All of us lived in the UK at the same time, despite all being from either Canada for myself or uh, the United States for Jenna and Sarah. And then, you know, we all kind of went back our separate ways and lived our individual lives. But I was still following them on social media, as you do. And suddenly I noticed Sarah and Jenna starting to post about this new podcast they were doing uh, a few months after I started my podcast, so back in 2020, called, again, Name Three Songs. And they were talking about reclaiming the concept of fangirls, not patronizing and, and demonizing female fans, especially female fans of major pop acts like One Direction, for example. And it really got me thinking and challenging my own beliefs about the way that we speak about other women in the music space. And I think just simply even just by watching the stuff that they were starting to do, it was making me kind of excavate some of my own like internalized misogyny. And I'm so grateful to them for that because I think that it has ended up really shaping the way that I now approach my work as a music journalist It's also approached the way that I view things as a music fan. It's helped me with the way that I view myself as well as a music fan. I am far less patronizing of myself as well. And just in general, it's given me a lot more bandwidth as to how I I view being a lover of music and the different forms that we can all take. 
So getting to have them on was kind of a no-brainer. You know, I really wanted to collaborate on something with them because I really obviously believe in what they're doing. And this bonus episode was such a perfect way to do it. I enjoyed doing it so much that I want to do more of these. So I'm going to be on the lookout for more folks in the music world, whether they be people in music events or people that are part of like music communities. I won't have a regular schedule for these as of now, but it is definitely something that I want to bring more of to you because I think it's a really fun thing to get to do. It's also really fun because they also interview bands on their podcast. And so we get to kind of exchange notes and talk about the different ways that we approach the same you know, the same type of work. It's just all in all, we both get really nerdy about, you know, being in the music world. But as always, we still talk about lots of very human stuff. I was also on a recent episode of Name Three Songs where we talked about, as Sarah put it, the capitalist hellscape that we have put ourselves in through the way that artists market certain artists market themselves through who gets access to vinyl production um we also just geeked out about some current music stuff that we really love and you should be listening to them in general as well they in the current format of the podcast talk about current news in the music world and really look at the real world impact of what is happening they you know encourage media literacy their research ethic is brilliant so it just it's such an intelligent, awesome take on current pop culture that I think that my audience would really love. So definitely go check it out. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you to my conversation with Jenna and Sarah. So here we go. This is kind of a special bonus episode. I, I feel like, I mean, 99.9% of episodes that I do on this podcast tend to be with musicians, but I'm slowly starting to like branch out and like talk to other people in the music world as well. Yeah. And it's been really, really fun. Um, and this is, this is an interview that I think I've been wanting to do, or at least a collaboration I've been wanting to do for a really long time, which is for, for anyone listening, is with the wonderful podcast Name Three Songs, hosted by Sarah and Jenna, who are in front of me via Zoom right now. Um, I've actually known both of you for <laughs> many years. I mean, or at least we met many, many years ago, because we were all in London at the same time. I want to say like 2016, 17, 18, all yeah. kind of within that realm. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember me and Sarah used to volunteer with So Far Sounds London and we'd be working some of the same shows sometimes. I still remember yeah. a specific one in Kilburn in one of those like muse houses. I think Hollow Coats yes. were playing. <laughs> I do remember Whoa. that. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And Sarah it's like a and past I past life. <laughs> I know. And Sarah and I also went to the same university. Which I had yeah, also weirdly like forgotten. Times. Yeah, I that's because yeah. it's like you start I think you started like after I, like right after I left and then when I came back you were finishing and so I was like oh wow <laughs> small world it's wild and I think you also knew Kira Chapman too right because I think yes, she might have been how we you yeah and she I was met. the connection that's what it yeah. was again it is a ridiculously small world um but since since we knew each other in London I mean a lot has happened for all of us um <laughs> and the world you know it's yeah. been yeah as happens when a few years go by. But one of the <laughs> things that I have loved getting to watch happen from a distance was the creation of your podcast, Name Three Songs. I remember when I... Yeah, of course. Like when I first saw the idea of it come through, I was like... <laughs> 
and I've told you this before, but I was like, this is fucking brilliant. Like, and, and I, and it's values that I know that I've stepped into or your, your work embodies values that I've definitely had, but have only stepped into as I've moved through my career. And I know for a fact that witnessing what you guys have created absolutely influence the direction that i've moved in so thank you that's so <laughs> that's that feels so like it like warms my heart thank you so much i i mean i mean it i'm not i'm not someone who bullshits um i yeah. i don't know how um i am in la i should have learned by now but i don't think i ever will yeah. i think i'm just gonna be the nice little canadian bopping around and i i'll work with it Anyway, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So again, with all that in mind, I'm super excited to have this conversation. I think you know it's it's best we kind of just start at some of the high level stuff because I want people to get to know you. Um, hopefully, people are already listening to your podcast because if not, sort your shit out. Thank you. But <laughs> um, but if not, like I guess the easiest place to start and is kind of the origin about things. So like talking about your respective. I guess backgrounds in music. I know you've talked about it about your podcast I, or on your podcast. I've listened right. to that episode, but yeah. for the sake of it was a long time here, ago. Yeah, it was I know. A long time ago. <laughs> hey, I I went back. I scrolled. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for I mean, for context. So, like, if you guys aren't familiar with us, like our podcast, we talk about the music industry and pop culture under a feminist lens. Um, it didn't necessarily start out of that as that. We got we got there. It more so started out as calling out misogyny and empowering fangirls specifically yeah. as it relates to like one direction in the 1975. But like for context, I think both of our origin stories are quite similar. Sarah and I yeah. kind of lived parallel lives earlier in like teenage and like college years. Um, yeah, I don't know, Sarah, you, you take it away. <laughs> I mean, it, no, it's, it's really funny because like Jenna and I didn't meet until 2017 and we met because we both did music photography and she was studying abroad in England and I was doing my master's in England. And then like as we became friends, we realized just like how similar our lives had been in regards to like our journeys in music photography and music journalism and stuff. Because we both started out as like pop punk kids, like Warped Tour, warp like yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think like the versions of ourselves that met, like it, you would never have expected that. Like you would look at us and talk to us and they would be like, wait, what? These, these, these girls went to Warped Tour? And it's like, yes, it was our whole entire lives. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. <laughs> but yeah. But then we both got into like the Britty, Brit, British indie rock scene um we were both doing school in abroad i was doing a study abroad program in bristol sarah was doing her masters in london a mutual friend who was also a female music photographer connected us and was like you guys need to meet and <laughs> it's been a journey like it's crazy that we met in the year 2017 like we're going on seven years of friendship which is <laughs> insane but literally we were like friends on twitter and yeah. then like she came to say she came to hang out with me in bristol i went to hang out with her in london and then, like, from there was just a series of events of us, like, coming back to see each other while we were both traveling. Um, and both, both like, parallel lives pursuing, like, music-related careers. Like, Sarah more on, like, the photo photography, journalism, and, like, photo editing side. And then myself, I was working for a concert promoter in Austin, Texas, where I live. Um, so I was more on, like, <clears throat> concerts and, like, events, uh, festivals, and just doing social media marketing as well as photography. And then, of course, once we got to pandemic times, live music no more. <laughs> what do with life? Yeah. Um, yes. 
and Sarah like this was like I think it was it happened in August like July or August we we debuted our podcast in August but a little before that Sarah just like called me up one day so it's like the middle of like 2020 <laughs> right we're all depressed out of our minds like not yeah. leaving our houses Sarah calls me up with this like crazy <laughs> crazy idea like we're talking on the phone for three hours and I'm just like rapidly <laughs> taking notes essentially of the idea of name three songs. And she even had the name already figured out <laughs> because the name is like, if you're wearing a band shirt and a guy comes up and asks you, do you even like that band? Can you name three songs? That's the premise of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, we both wanted to still participate in the music world, but like yeah. we couldn't because there was no concerts. Um, and we both have journals and backgrounds, even though I wasn't doing journalism professionally, I did it all through like high school and college. So I do have yeah. that background as well. Um, and then it just seemed like a good combination of our skill sets of Sarah having the media side brain and knowing how the media works and me knowing more like the social media marketing side. Um, and yeah, kind of just kicked off with like our first episodes being about like One Direction and 1975 and what we saw as fans when we were growing up and the misogyny we saw towards like One Direction not being taken seriously, One Direction's fans not being taken seriously. And like yeah. literally just started with calling that out and didn't yeah. know like things <laughs> just happened from there. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of just like really serendipitous because like... Jenna and I would like be texting and just being like so frustrated about the fact that everything that we loved and like felt like we were starting to get taken more seriously doing had just been taken away from us. And we like saw like musicians figuring out ways to still do things. But like for us, there like wasn't really an option. It's like, what do you do as a like a concert photographer? Like, what do you do as like a journalist when people are like canceling album releases and like all of this stuff? And at the same time, like One Direction, because Harry Styles was having such a moment in summer 2020, yeah. One Direction was having like this resurgence online. And I was like, this is so crazy. Everybody's finally acknowledging how impactful One Direction was to music. Like this is like it's both beautiful and like infuriating as a girl who's been like made fun of. And like we've we we quote back on this like GQ cover story that One Direction did where like this man got sent to a One Direction show and was just like making fun of their fans, making fun of the show. Like he interviewed the band and like got Harry alone for a little bit and tried to basically like trick him into admitting that he's like fucking all of these fans and like doing all of this stuff. And it's just like it's bad journalism. It's just like painful to read. It's so awful. And like I think that was also kind of like as we started doing the podcast and we're rereading a lot of these interviews that like had upset us when we were like in our late teens, early twenties, yeah. we, we were realized like, it was like so much worse than we remembered it being. Like it yeah. was actually bad, <laughs> like actively bad. It was so bad, and we're like, okay, like we can do more from this rather than just talking about like, oh, like these are like male artists who got treated poorly because girls like them when like everybody and everything that like girls liked got treated badly and then just women in general were being treated yeah. badly yeah. and judged for like existing. And so it kind of just turned to this thing where also like the people who gravitated towards us when I first started like posting, like literally shit posting on TikTok about it, like before we even had the podcast like finished, I was like, no, like we're going to, I'm just going to start posting about this. Like the people that attracted were so smart that I like literally said to Jenna, I was like, we have to take this seriously because these people are so impressive who yeah, are messaging yeah. us and like commenting. And I'm like, okay, like we both love journalism. We there love thinking was a like need this. For it. Yeah. yeah. 
And so I was like, okay, let's take this more seriously. And Jenna was like so down. So then we just started being like, okay, every episode we need to be like having like all these sources of research, like like, reading twenty articles, so much homework, reading psychology, (laughs) reading feminist theory. Yeah, it was wild. (laughs) Well, I love that you do that. I have many thoughts on all the many things that you said. One, (laughs) I think that the warp tour to any type of indie music pipeline is very natural and normal. Um, I think that's the most late millennial thing that you could possibly say. (laughs) So I don't think it's as weird as you think it is. I missed like the warp tour angle of things. I had like a hot minute of like Canadian pop punk. So do it. Yeah. Yeah. But and then I became like. So like Headley, like who? Yes, Headley and Mariana's <laughs> Trench. I love it. Amazing. And then actually, because I was listening to um, uh, Campbell uh, from Vacations' interview that he did with you, where he talked about like Guitar Hero kind of being like the thing that got him into like pro- proper music. I'm going to use that word very lightly because yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. that's loaded in this context, <laughs> which I will touch on in a moment. But. That was my pipeline, too. I actually just messaged him. I was like, yo, like, same. Um, And then eventually, yeah, indie music. But number two, long before I'd even listened to you guys' podcast, I used to follow, like, the graphics that you'd put out on Instagram religiously. Mm -hmm. So, Jenna, well done. Um, (laughs) Thank you. She's a star. (laughs) Those were the things that, like, were really starting to, like, kind of affect my brain and start to force me to rethink like how I viewed certain things yeah all right final thing that I'm gonna say and this is the kind of biggest bullet point I don't yeah. normally do like reactions in bullet point form but I feel like there's so many good things there's just so many things that y'all have said that are worth addressing that I was like I don't want to miss any of these um everything that you said about like the way that we look down on female fans which again is so at the core of your podcast Like, when I trace back, like, my teenage years, all the way up until, like, my early 20s, despite some of the fact that I think that I'm, I've always been, like, fairly feminist in my approach, I can totally see some of the, like, internalized misogyny in the way that I consume music when I started getting to, like I said before with the Guitar Hero thing, quote, unquote, good music, you know, like, I, like, used to take pride in the fact that I only liked One Direction for, like, a month. And then I I was like a Taylor Swift hater for years and like all that stuff. And but like and, you know, I'm not mad at myself for that because I think that, you know, 10 years ago, that's what we were taught, you know, and it kind of got like Mm -hmm. shoved down our throats so much that it's like if you want to be a cool girl, like it's such a fucking pick me thing if you think about it. But it is. But we didn't it's have like, the language it's a canon for that. Event. Like, it was it that's to what, that, Yeah, that's what was happened at the time. Like we did a whole episode like about like the pick me stereotype like in the beginning. Yeah. It was just like that's what it that's what feminism was then. Like it was just pick me. Like it wasn't actual feminism. It literally was. It was pick me combined with especially in the indie spaces. And I realized this like thinking about like some of the particularly female fronted bands that would get the most traction. It was a lot of how can I make myself small and sad? And mysterious yeah. you know and that's not to say i don't love some of those bands like for example the biggest example for me is daughter and that is not to trash on daughter because i love them i think elena tonner is a brilliant songwriter but i think we only left room for really like stories where like women were making themselves small or feeling small rather than like also holding space for yeah. women being louder and stronger which i think we're doing more now but yeah. and, and so, again, it's not to minimize what one person was creating. It's the fact that that was the only narrative that we were really allowing to be the loudest. 
Yeah, I well, mean, like, even we- if you if if you even think though, like to pop like the pop punk girls like at the time, like Hey Monday, uh, whatever band Tay Jardine was in, like like just like her and Cassidy Pope, like those type of people. It's like I never felt like they would want to be my friend. I felt like if I went to talk to them and they they would be like, no, I'm one of the boys. Like I don't talk to girls. Like that was the vibe, and like. But, like, also, it's, like, if you read fan fiction, like, all that shit, it's always, like, oh, like, Harry Styles always winds up with the girl who's not like other girls who, like, doesn't think he's cool and, like, reads the book in the pit at a show or whatever. You know, like, it was the thing. It was, like, the moment uh, from, like, 2007 to, like, 2016, But also, it was, like, like, Haley Williams was the only person who was allowed, to, the only yeah. woman who was allowed to be successful in pop punk. So yeah. it was literally just growing up on the, like, other women are competition mindset. Yeah. yeah. Like there can only be one when it's like we've come so far from that. And I just remember at the beginning of the podcast, like fangirl kind of felt like a dirty word. And I think there I think like honestly, when we started the podcast, that's what it felt like. And we were like, no, we need to reclaim this. And I think because of because of TikTok and because of covid, a lot of people went to TikTok as an online space to convene. And I think a lot of women who grew up with these experiences then going online to be like, feel like this is not something I want to be a part of anymore and like reclaiming that fangirlhood for themselves. And I feel like looking back now, it's like we've come so far even from when we started this in 2020, like the general vibe of how I feel about people who are having these conversations. Yeah, 100%. But because also like for most of 2020 and like the beginning of 2021, like during the whole like resurgence of like people talking about being a fangirl and fangirl culture and like all of that shit. Like there was just like this moment of like people being so obsessed with like the fangirl to music industry pipeline and it sounding like, and like, I'm not like, I don't think like it's a factual thing. Like it exists. Like people who care so much, like we have the right mindset to be helping bands and helping musicians and like doing our part, but it's not just like being a fangirl doesn't automatically get you a job in the music industry. And we would have so many people reaching out to us being like, well, here's my fangirl to like, industry pipeline story and we're like that's not the point like that's not the point it's like that's amazing that you're doing this it's amazing that like you were able to like get past that stigma and like have success and find your life goal and like dream whatever but i'm like i don't want to like sell a false narrative to girls who are obsessed with music that like it just being obsessed with music is going to like set you up for success in life because it's not true it's like the people who are finding success are the people who like did like use their fangirlhood to like be a business Develop person. Skill sets, yeah, yeah, where it's like they like were part of street teams. They started like fan accounts on Twitter or like Instagram or like Tumblr, whatever it is, but they were on the ground running doing so much work. And I feel like that's the other thing is like because you were like, oh, this is fangirl behavior. We ourselves as women were mitigating that and being like, oh, this isn't we're not doing a skill set. We're not learning new things. Right. And it's like, no, you're literally like coding you're a like website a, you're like, coding a website you're a video editor like doing you like got, a, a album release yeah you got your favorite band like charting on billboard like what yeah. are you talking about you did nothing and so it's like it's that thing too where it's like because we felt like everything we were doing was kind of like a joke and not taken seriously i feel like that also set a lot of people up to like view things as like a certain way where i'm like you're literally mitigating your work like you did such amazing stuff but we talk about this a lot on the podcast too when people are like oh like without harry styles i wouldn't have figured out all of these things about myself and it's like 
that's not Harry. Harry Styles did not do that for you. You did that because of what you are, what you are like understanding Harry Styles music to mean and like his message to mean. like he didn't sit down with you and be like, <laughs> it was just a tool for everything. your own just, self-discovery. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, give yourself more credit for what you've done. Like you're doing amazing shit. <laughs> like celebrate that. Yeah, what women giving <clears throat> ourselves credit? What a fucking concept! Um, I know, right? It's it's giving <clears throat> a lot of I don't know. It's making me want to parallel with like the concept of like invisible labor, for example, which you know mm-hmm. is that talks more about like the things that women do in a household, particularly in like you know heterosexual, gender normy marriages. But yeah, yeah, it's like anything that we do is like a hobby or a passion project instead of yeah, like you said, a, a transferable skill. And and we internalize that, too, and don't give ourselves credit. It's just a a loop, which is why, again, I, I appreciate that you guys are reclaiming that and kind of giving people the language around that that they wouldn't normally have. Um, with all of that in mind, um, and I guess to whatever degree you're willing to share, are there any, like, particular experiences that you've had as either industry people or as just music fans that you think have really like shaped this ethos, like whether it be something that like really pissed you off or like something like this, the like article that you read about Harry Styles or like mm-hmm. whatever it is, like any of those that really kind of like made those like clicks start to happen in your brain. <laughs> like, in term- sorry, I can get a little vague with some of my questions. No, 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 and I'm no, like, no, I need no, to fix no, that. We, this we, is we my job. It. We, we get it. We both have answers, but I'm like, do, uh, do I go first? I feel you go like- first, Sarah. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, like, I started doing music photography when I was, like, 15, and I just, like, watched... The people that I watched find success around me were oh, mostly men, and, like, girls I knew were doing things that I would not do in order to have success. And I think that it was very much so told to us as girls there were certain things we were expected to do, uh, or, like, you know what I mean? Um yeah in in the music scene or not even like told but just based off of people the way people would act and all of these things like and I'm not like I don't hold anything against like the girls who were like going and doing the things that they were doing because like that like literally it was the only way to like get close to bands and do things where it's like you're going out you're getting fake IDs you're going to clubs you're doing shit you wouldn't even really want to do years later having to talk about it and think about it and like deal with that is like horrible and like I've seen a lot of them have to deal with that like later on and it's just like I don't know like uh, growing up there was a lot of situations that I was in where I would interview bands and it would be a lot of like oh like so what are you doing after this and I just like never felt like I was taking that seriously even though I was doing good work and like the industry people who would like read my work or see my stuff would be like, Oh, like you're doing amazing. And I'd be like, okay, well you're like the amount of times where I had to call a publicist and tell them that a band member was like being really inappropriate towards like 18, 19, 20 year old me is like too many times to count. Um, and so I think just like, as I got older and became like less of the canon event of like, Oh, like other girls are my enemy. And like realize like feminism is okay and it's like great to have like a bunch of girlfriends and all of this stuff. I was like, how do I support other women in music so that they understand that like you don't have to do crazy shit to like have success and find success yeah. and like you don't have to <clears throat> like put yourself in uncomfortable situations or anything like that. But also at the same time, it's like everything I've ever done in music journalism has been to try and make other people like me feel like there's a space for them. Because I think like music journalism also is just like not a super 
easy space to get into. And a lot of people who have done this for a long time, like if they don't work at one of the like legacy publications or they don't do big things, they just like feel like their work isn't worth anything. And like, and I have so many friends who like are were really talented writers and photographers who just like stopped because they're like, oh, well, this isn't my full time job, so I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, no, we need people who like just do this because they care. Like it helps so many people. And I think that was also like a big part of like why I wanted to start the podcast and focus it on like fangirlhood and like keep having that as like the backbone, like as we've shifted and changed like what we're doing is because it's so important for people to like understand that you can love things so deeply while also being like a critical consumer of it and like understanding how important media literacy is and understand like there are going to be people who make fun of you because like you live and breathe Harry Styles and like know everything about what's happening in pop culture because like girl hobbies are not viewed as hobbies. Like I got in a fight with a guy friend the other day because he was like, oh, like pop culture is not a hobby. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean? Pop culture is not a hobby. Like pop culture has so much to do with like everything that's happening in the world and like politics and everything. It all goes hand in hand. Um, And I think that that's the other thing. It's like so many people are embarrassed of like how much they love this stuff and how much they care about it and how much it affects their day to day day to day lives. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like this is cool and interesting to care about and like impacts so many things at so many levels. So I think it's just been kind of like that thing where when you start, you f- like everybody has that moment where you're like, oh, if I'm not willing to like do something that I don't want to do, like maybe I'm not going to be able to do this forever, but I'm going to try and make this like a safer, nicer place for other people if I can. And that's like the goal. Yeah. All right, Jenna, your turn. I mean, that was a big mic drop. How am I supposed to follow that up? Like, <laughs> I mean, I think, well, just for a second riffing off of what Sarah said, it's the, the other part of it is like um, adult women accepting that they don't have to get rid of fangirlhood because they're yeah. an adult. Um, Because I think like for so long, that's the narrative we were told, like, you're going to grow out of that. And I think that's the narrative that men live by. Um, And it's like, you're okay to like, you're allowed to like pop culture, you're allowed to like music, you're allowed to still be a fan and an adult. And again, I think, again, like this, this conversation around like fandom converging in a space like TikTok has allowed a lot of like adult women to accept that and to be less ashamed of it. Like, I think that's the biggest thing is having less shame around it. Um, but like my personal story, I feel like is not as long, like a lot of this, I've, I've honestly like truly learned a lot, like from Sarah and doing this. Um, but I think, you know, as far as like moments that stood out to me, cause I was a teenager doing music photography and I didn't start interviewing bands until I was like already in college. So I didn't have as much like teenage interactions in that regard, but I just remember like, when I became a fan of One Direction, I would wear their t-shirts. Like I had like one or two t-shirts from One Direction that I would wear to like high school, ironically, because I was like, but I like alternative music. So it's okay that I'm wearing a One Direction shirt because I'm not a crazy fangirl. I like cool music. So it was very much that of like, I was wearing it like ironically, like I'm ironically a fan. Um, And I like, I definitely remember like thinking that like being in high school, um, but I think, you know, as we started to get more into the podcast and even just doing the initial episodes about like One Direction, 1905 and stuff. And it's true. It's like I felt all those things like I felt like the fangirls are put down, like people don't take fangirls seriously. And I feel mm-hmm. like 
I probably locked part of myself's, my, myself up in that regard of not sharing certain aspects of my of my experience living on this planet because I knew it wasn't safe to be a fangirl publicly. Um, yeah. And so I think like throughout the course of this podcast, even as a personal journey, like on like like Sarah said, everything like understanding, no, it is OK to talk about this. And also like just again, being unashamed of like this is part of who I am. If you don't if you don't fuck with that, then like I don't fuck with you, you know, that type of thing. And it's it's something that I'm honestly like still working through of like owning up to stuff that I'm like, because I'm also like not everyone needs to know everything about me. But it's like <laughs> it's true. It's like it, what like. Like, so let's say you're dating and you're going to get into like five dates with somebody and then they find out you were a One Direction fangirl and they're like not cool with that. <laughs> it's like then I just wasted five. You know what I mean? It's that yeah. thing of like being who you are up front and like knowing whether or not someone's going to fuck with you. Um, but then just beyond that. But also, like, if you want to talk beyond that, like in the pop culture sense, I think the what was it? 2021 uh, New York Times documentary on Britney. yeah. I think that opened a lot of people's eyes and it's like that was conversations that Sarah and I were already having, but like contextualize it in a way that had not been contextualized. And like for for me, like thinking of the podcast, like Britney's 1999 Rolling Stone cover story when she was 17 years old and they referred to her ample bosom and honeyed thighs like (laughs) lives in my brain rent free. Like Sarah and I quote this all the time because it's so insane to look back and see how she was actually treated. And just um, written about like she was like an object like it's crazy a piece of meat yeah like it's, it's wild. insane so i think like throughout the course of our podcast there have been mm-hmm. these revelations that really stood out to me as to like why what we're doing is important yeah, yeah. and i do appreciate i think i'm trying to figure out how to like the right way to phrase this question because it, it ties into everything that you just said I guess I'll start by saying this. So I am very much a recovering people pleaser, which I think a lot <laughs> of women are um, because we are taught to be. And I I don't know like what your previous experiences are like because I know what you're like now and I know how you mm-hmm. vocalize. And I am so like in awe of the just say the fucking thing, give zero fucks energy that you both <laughs> bring to this podcast because I yeah. think it's the only way that it pushes the needle forward. But I guess my question with all of that is, because especially since, like, you said that you know what it's like to kind of reduce your personality and kind of try mm-hmm. and make yourself smaller. Do you think that you ever were pe- a people pleaser or people pleasers at points in your life? And if so, like, I guess, like, what started to change that? Because I feel like where you're at now is so awesome and, and needed for this space. Yeah. I mean, I would say yes. Like, I would say that lines up with kind of the experience I just described um, yeah. <clears throat> of not wanting to be not like avoiding confrontation not wanting to be the person that's like is being confronted um and so in that regard like not showing certain aspects of myself and like Sarah, like even just sarah as a person like <laughs> i learned so much from because she'll just say things like with her full chest because she's like this is how it is to me why would i why would i lie why would i not say that so like even like on a friendship level like to this day to this day there's like stuff in our personal lives that I'm like damn respect like I need to take notes on this. Well, I think like I have just always been like the type of person who is like so passionate about everything that I love. And like growing up, I grew up in very much like a quintessential like American teen movie kind of clicky high school, like middle school everything. 
And so I was immediately positioned as like a weird kid because I like to play sports when I was like growing up. And so therefore, like nothing really mattered to me after that, because it's like they're going to be mean to me no matter what. I'm going to wear a different Fall Out Boy shirt to school every day of the week. Like the weirdest thing I did was like lie that my first concert was Avril Lavigne instead of Britney Spears, which like... (laughs) Like, what? Like, because I was like, oh, like, they already think I'm weird. Like, I can't have seen this mainstream artist in concert. I have oh my to have seen Avril That's giving pick me, too. <laughs> I know. I know. A hundred percent it was. But it's like, it's just like that thing where, like, <clears throat> I, yeah, like, I just, like, but, but, like, Jenna, you and I have talked about this. Like, I, like, didn't listen to Paramore growing up because yeah, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. like, girl music's not for me because that, and, like, that was, like, my thing. But it was never, like, I wasn't lying about, like, not listening to Paramore. And, like, even, like, the Taylor Swift stuff, like, I never really liked her. And there were songs that I did like, and I would, like, sing them and put them on my mix CDs. But I was never, like, a Taylor Swift fan. And then, like, 1989 came out, and I was like, okay, this might change my whole life, you know? <laughs> And <laughs> because it was such a good album, but I've always kind of just been that person where I'm like, why, why make up anything other than that? Like Britney Spears lie when I was like in middle school, like, you know, because to me, I was like, they're going to, people are going to judge me anyway. They have been like, why not just be me? And that's just kind of always been my thing where I'm just like, you know what? It's so much easier to just be honest and go do what I want to do. And like, if I didn't, like, I never would have seen One Direction. I never would have done half of the things that I did. Like, I slept on the sidewalk to see them do the fucking Today Show when I was 19 years old. And I told everyone about it. Like, I'm yeah. 19, like, on the fucking sidewalks of New York City. Like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, my sister showed me this boy band and it changed my whole entire life. <laughs> like, so what? You know? <clears throat> Yeah, so I don't know. I've just always been kind of like, I think like the worst thing I've ever done in regard to like worst quote unquote, like people pleasing is like that fear of like bands not liking you. And so putting up with shit that like you wouldn't normally put up with, but then immediately telling on them as soon as I left. But like I would like when I was younger, I would not say anything to their faces. Whereas now if somebody is like making me uncomfortable in an interview or like doing something where I'm like, this is inappropriate. We are both professionals here. I will say this is inappropriate. We are both professionals here. Meanwhile, when I was like 19, I'm like, I'm just going to call their mom later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I'm still very crippled by the thought of confrontation. So I I very much admire and respect that and hope to be there one day too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And on that note, I think this is a great time to start talking about the thing that we both do, which is interviews. <laughs> I mean, this is this is kind of the Venn diagram point, I guess, the the thing that we both do, which right. which is fun because like I always love getting to talk to other interviewers and sort of like shoot the shit and like compare the way that we approach things. Um, I think for one, this is kind of my like first question obviously you both have a background in journalism and Mm -hmm. the ties between journalism and interviewing are quite obvious because that is part of it but you're also both photographers and I guess I was just kind of curious if if there's an element of the way that you have to like observe people as a photographer that you feel impacts the way that you approach interviewing it's a bit of like a nerdy question but I can't help but wonder if there's a tie there no, I think that's really, I mean, I think it's really interesting, but Sarah, I kind of want to know what you think. First. I feel like in some ways, yes, but 
but I like I don't know I feel like more so prior to like podcast interviewing I think more so like in-person interviewing it has a lot more of a thing to it because I know like Jenna and I both would a lot of the times use interviews as like a way to be able to do like portraits with bands and stuff and like it kind of gives you this opportunity to like experience artists in like two different ways and I feel like when you get that opportunity to see how somebody like acts when they're just like being themselves, because like the second an interview starts, no matter like what the vibes are before, they kind of like put on like a, a safety net sort of thing where it's like, OK, like I don't know you yet. I don't know what the vibes are, whatever. And so even if you were like having a great time before, like do the shoot before, because a lot of times they try and just like get the photos done. You like get to have this experience where they're just like freely being themselves and like, I think that that helps a lot, number one, in like making the interview more comfortable, but also in helping inform the questions that you already have, because you like have been able to see this person with like their guard down. And a most people who work in journalism don't get that opportunity. And like, even when you like do research and like watch interviews and like watch all these things, it's like you never really see them just like as people. But I think everybody gets like a little bit uncomfortable in front of a camera and like freaks out a little bit. And you kind of have to like relate to them in like this new and different way of being like, OK, just like be free, like let loose, like be yourself. And you get to have that moment where they like put their guard down, allow themselves to be like photographed. And then I think that that can like really inform like how you talk to somebody and how you relate to them in a lot of ways. Mm. That's I mean, I because I'm not a photographer, I've never had to think about it that way. But that is really interesting. I guess, yeah. Jenna, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I, I think I would second everything Sarah said. I don't know that I have really anything new to add. Um, I, I don't know. But also, it's like now we just interview people on, you know, virtual all the time. So it's uh, like it's it's just different because um, yeah. you sometimes don't have. Like, we always try to banter with people ahead of time, so they just, like, start to feel a little bit comfortable, but it's definitely not the same as being in person with someone. Okay. Well, I mean, it, obviously, it is going to be different, so I yeah. guess, yeah, extra food for thought. I guess my second point that is, I guess is a big thing that I'm curious about because it's it's a, a differing point in the approach you know, I, I do my podcast solo. Um, yeah. so my research process is a lot of me researching, staring at a computer and having a small existential crisis until yeah. something clicks in my head. Um, uh, and then, and then questions are on the paper. So what is it like, I guess, like when you're building content, especially interviews in a, a collaborative way, like, do you find that that's like something that's easy that you find yourselves like bouncing off each other a lot that you're or that you're kind of working more individually and then coming together and kind of merging ideas later? Like, what does that sort of look like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it was really hard at first because we, <laughs> we quickly realized that interviewing is like everyone has a very specific style of how they approach interviewing and mm -hmm. our approaches were quite different, um, even to the point of like sitting down and like literally debating questions because we were like <laughs> is that what you're trying to ask and like you're not saying it right or like could this be said better yeah. um and so like when it started it we were spending like a lot of time on it where um you know we kind of each write a few questions and then kind of come together and prepare, uh, compare but now we have like a much better system like one of us will will do the initial research we'll do the initial questions and um, I think we're just much more aligned on our train of thought with how we do our interviews, because 
Um, our interviews are separate from our podcast. Our podcast, you know, we're talking about weekly news events and we're talking about them from a feminist lens and kind of exploring a lot of difficult subject matter. Sometimes, you know, mental health, LGBTQ matters, um, representation, like fangirl stuff, like stuff like that. And so we've tried to bring some of these themes into our artist interviews where we're not mm-hmm. just simply just talking about the music. Like, yes, we do talk about the artist's story and try to learn their background. But then we try to pull out these themes that like either they would have interesting opinions on or like things that they've experienced in life that make them unique and different. Um, and so we have kind of like some overarching themes that we generally cover. And again, you know, mental health, LGBTQ matters, like. Yeah. Uh, we talk about the idea of fame and like the idea of persona and like putting on a mask or like whatever it is um, and and allow artists to kind of answer in a way where it's like they get to bring their personal story to it. But it still kind of ties back to the theme of like what our mission is with the podcast. It's just like it's really funny, like remembering back on like how it first like, it was first rough. started. It we was, were having some fights. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> well, no, because it's like, it is really funny because I'm sure you know because like you have other journalism friends like everybody has like their own style of interviewing and like how they function and like all of this stuff and like Jenna's was like very... Like we kind of just like joke about how like we're two sides of like one thing where it's like we come together and like it perfectly intertwines and like we we're able to like bring in like these aspects of like each other that is missing in like some ways and things like we just like balance each other out very well and like and so like jenna would be like okay like every question is like so specific and i'd be like oh i just have like chaos notes and so we had like have to like come to these like points where we like figured out how to combine both these things where we were both comfortable in the situation but like jenna said it's like once we got there it got so easy and it's been so fun to like do this together because like there'll be certain artists where like one of us is more excited than the other at the beginning and so they'll be like okay i'm gonna bring all this research so that you get excited too and like have the questions and it's cool too because like we kind of have these like buckets of like how different artists are where we're like okay here are some of the themes that we like to talk about that we think this artist would be really have like really interesting answers to so that way we can like ask them the same kind of like name three songs as questions and so it's just really fun to like once we have like the base of what we want to do the interview like come together on the phone talk about them and be like okay how do we work this question to make the most sense and be the best for like this specific artist because we want everything to be like tailored to them. So they're not just like, Oh, this is like the same interview I'm always doing or whatever the case is, but also so that they don't feel like, Oh, they're just asking me this question because I fit into the X, Y, Z box. Yeah. So like we personalize everything to them, but like, I also don't think we'd be able to do it without each other, which I think is like really cool in regards to just like the way that we do it now. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, like, you guys have been doing this long enough that that sort of rapport and that dynamic starts to develop where you kind of intrinsically know, you know, how you two are going to approach things. You know, speaking of what you were saying about kind of like, yeah, merging all of those points in the way that you approach an interview, going back to the, again, the vacations interview that you did. I remember being really impressed with how you guys were talking about like fan communities and like Mm -hmm. engaging with fans and everything. And it felt to your point personal to to like Campbell and his band's experience but also touched on the sort of like wider concepts of a fandom that you guys touch on in the podcast in a way that felt very 
uh, substantial and nuanced. Like, I didn't feel yeah. like you were asking him, so do you think the fans are going to receive this well? Or like, you know, one of those <laughs> yeah, like yeah. bullshit questions that we hear sometimes. Like, and and you could tell like he was engaged. And I mean, when the, the all of the interviews I've listened to that you've done, you can tell that they're engaged and they feel heard and understood and and that's i mean obviously i immensely respect that because that's what i try and do on my podcast so yeah. Yeah, yeah. i'm always happy to see other people doing it as well yeah, yeah I, I mean i think i think the other part of it and i'm you know uh, something that's different with us is having two hosts is <coughs> knowing how to have the conversation flow because that's part of yeah. interviewing right it's the skill of knowing where to take the conversation and when to kind of go off script and dig deeper um and again we've like at first it was like a little rocky and we've gotten into this pattern where we kind of are able to predict who's gonna want to <laughs> ask what and yeah. we try to also just take turns and kind of bounce back and forth so one of us isn't dominating the conversation but i think again having that rapport of it's you know because it's like if you're meeting an artist for the first time you don't necessarily know what that rapport is going into it and you kind of mm -hmm. again have to warm them up a little bit um but with like the two of us <laughs> it feels like sometimes we're on the same like brain wavelength where I'm like, I know Sarah's going to hop in and ask this. So like, I'm going to take the back seat, you know? No, it is. It is funny. Cause like, like we said, it's like John and I've been doing this podcast now for like th three and a half years. Yeah. Like it's been a while. And so just in general, like we've gotten very good at like having conversations and knowing when to like, stop saying things and like shut the fuck you know, up yeah like <laughs> exactly shut the fuck up but also just like when we are like i feel like there's certain topics that like we know one of us is like more interested in than the other or, like really excited about or whatever and like jenna said like sometimes an artist will just say something so interesting and i'm sure you're used to this and you just like go off the book and it's like sometimes like interviews just go completely different and we're like oh we had all these questions written out but they answered one question so well that's so specific to like what jenna and i are good at talking about yeah, that just it just like takes derailed. on a new life yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And, and it's never bad derailment but it's kind of exciting because like we'll just be able to like riff and then it really just feels like this conversation and that is always our goal is to like allow these artists to talk about things that they wouldn't normally get to talk about because like there's so many like I don't know I just feel like so often especially with the size of artists we speak to they're so used to doing a very specific type of interview and like it can it's just usually all the basic questions you know <laughs> Yeah, which is like, like that's boring. They've been asked the same thing five times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like so valid, but it's also the thing where it's like, okay, I understand you're promoting this album, but like, how do we talk about the album without talking about the album? And like, that's the thing that like Jenna and I are very passionate about doing, where it's like, we don't want, like, they've been doing press for days. Like, especially seeing like Campbell, like the vacations, like his schedule that week before we talked to him crazy like he was doing so much stuff and it was all for the album we're like how do we make this fun and exciting for him and we're like okay here are like roundabout ways to talk about the album without talking about the album and it was like such a cool conversation because he's like yeah literally this is not my music it's for my fans and like that's what i want to talk about and we're like yes please let's talk about fan band dynamics like we love this this is our bread and butter we oh, eat yeah. it up <laughs> it's like buddy you just said the right thing like yeah. let's do this i think with that Ooh, where do we go next? Um, <laughs> well, we got a couple topics I still really want to cover. I think the the next thing really to talk about is there are several different music scenes that we have all been part of. Um, 
the main one being, I guess, London slash the UK in general, because Jenna, you were in Bristol, which is another yeah. awesome, awesome city for music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's kind of a, a moment to like compare like the things that we loved about like the UK versus the different scenes that we're all in now. So for me, that is Los Angeles, Sarah, that's New York, and then for Jenna, that's in Austin. So I say we start with the UK and then we can each this go. This is Jenna's favorite subject. Yay. <laughs> I can write a thesis, man. I just, okay, here's my thing is that I think music is the music that's coming out of certain markets is so influenced by the culture that's happening in that specific city. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's like within each city, there can be like sub genres or like pockets of people who are doing, who are creative scenes, right? I just think like it's so fascinating. I, I've <clears throat> always thought about this. Like growing up, like, even being in like the work tour scene, you know what something coming out of Philadelphia is going to sound like versus New Jersey versus Arizona. Like <laughs> all, all fall under pop punk umbrella, but different vibes. And you know, you're like, oh, this is like East Coast pop punk. Yeah. Um, and so then when I got into, I literally was like digging on SoundCloud when I got d- down the indie rock rabbit hole, um, but like British indie rock. I And then it was just so interesting to me. The, the sound of British indie rock was completely different than the sound of American indie rock because it was like small pools and walk the moon and like 21 pilots. Like that was the indie music that we had that was really big at the same time that like Wolf Alice and then like Catfish in the Bottom in a little bit later and like 1975 and then like smaller bands within those markets were all having a moment. And I was much more attracted to that sound, which is why I wanted to go study abroad there. Um, but I, I think it's fascinating. And then it's like Austin, Texas. I mean, just bringing in personal experiences. It's so punk. It's so shoegaze. It's so psych. And like, it's it, so psych. Oh my God. There's, there's more. I mean, we literally have psych Austin psych fest. So like we have like, and levitation, which is also like very psych based. Um, <clears throat> But there's like a huge just like how the scene evolved and it's like it's also like you're not going to hear like one of like I had a friend visiting this weekend from New York and I took him to a punk show and he was like this is insane because you're not going to see this exact same thing in New York like there's punk in New York but it doesn't sound like this. And then I, when I was traveling, I went to Melbourne, Australia, because again, I was like a music city. I need to go there. And the punk music that was there was even different than what's in Austin than what's in New York. And the music scene and the music culture in Australia is completely different too. And so I've just like always been fascinated by this. Yeah, absolutely. I find sometimes it's like hard. Like I, I have like an instinctive knowledge of like this feels very UK or this feels very specific to this market. Sometimes it's hard to find the right, right words, especially now as more people like are listening to music from around the world and their influences yeah. are starting to bleed together. But it's so true. The psych thing, I think that also extends to Texas in general. I went to a show in Denton, Texas once and I was like, Got it. Um, there's yeah, a big I mean, music scene. Denton's like a uh, Denton's like an offshoot vibe of what Austin is, but also like is in North Texas, so it's also influenced by things that aren't in Austin. You know? Yeah. It's it was it was an interesting. I mean, it was all a bunch of dudes making psych music, which yeah. I ha- I could write a fucking essay about too. <laughs> it's um I love I mean I love psychedelic music very very much, but. There's something about letting too many overconfident white men with too many <laughs> pedals make a certain type of music where they're just making it noise. Can, yeah, it becomes yeah. insular to a certain degree. Totally, yeah. I think it's like once they're just like, we're just being experimental, but I'm like, but but it's not good, though. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm d- I'm just letting myself like rant for a minute. And again, the genre it. of psychedelic music is good. <laughs> there are people within the genre who get a little overconfident and think that if they just throw a bunch of shit together that they're being artsy when it's not good. And that is my soapbox. Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, I again, as you can see, I have opinions and they're yeah. just flying out of me thinking about my own time in Texas. Um, <laughs> something I can say, I think, about the Los Angeles music scene, at least like I feel like I've only started to really tap into more local stuff recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely, you know, a lot of people in like the rock space that'll pull from like the <clears throat> 70s influences, like 70s rock yeah. definitely comes back because, you know, we have the Sunset Strip here. It's very iconic. Yeah, yeah. But I think sure. one thing I've noticed is there's like that. This, this is, I think, a positive about L.A. is that at least the spaces I've been in really embrace camp on a higher level, which I guess makes sense. I mean, if you come to a lot of the bigger music venues here, a lot of them, like, the the Fonda is, like, decorated with murals of, like, Hieronymus Bosch, like, paintings. And then, like, the shrine is made to look like a, like, Middle Eastern, like, sheik's shrine. Like, even our yeah, venues yeah. feel very yeah. over the top, which which kind of makes sense. This is a showbiz city. Hollywood, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. For sure. For which, sure. you know, at times can be very artificial, and that part of it isn't always great. Sometimes it's it's fun to just sort of indulge. But what I like about, I guess, the positive side of embracing camp is sort of the same reason that I like what you talk about with fangirl culture. It's sort of allowing yourself to do the thing no matter how silly someone might perceive it as. Like, I go to these theme nights that I talk about a lot on the podcast called New School Jams. And we do, it's like a covers night and they like change the theme mm-hmm. each week. But like people will show up dressed in theme. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and there's just this like full like giving over to that <clears throat> that I really appreciate about the scene here. It's like mm. just letting yourself kind of go all out and be be whatever that thing is on full volume. Yeah, um, yeah. And as long as it's coming from a genuine place and not from an artificial place, and obviously both exist here because it's L.A. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you just have to learn how to discern between the two, which takes time. But yeah. but when it is coming from a genuine place, I think it's one of the most like beautiful things to get to be part of. Well, I think I think that's a really interesting point because it's like bringing showbiz into L.A. Like the over the top. Like I totally get that. Like now that you're saying, like I totally get that. Of like people are allowed to be a little bit more out there because it is like influenced by showbiz. Um, but then it's like I was just thinking while you were talking, it's like Sarah being in New York, you being in L.A., me being in Austin. People move to these cities for like very different reasons, <clears throat> seeking out very different things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, L.A. and New York obviously being huge music cities. It's a very conscious choice if, you, if you're not from there to move there. Whereas like Austin, there's like definitely a lot more people who are like moving to Austin. But Austin has an entirely different vibe than New York, or L.A. It's not a big yeah. city. Um, there's not the big city hustle mentality. Like Austin was built on like, Austin is weird. It's a slacker town. Like old school Austin, like was Slackerville. Um, and so while there is, Austin has changed so much and there's so much growth and like, there's a lot of high tech here now and stuff like that at the core of like the music and art scene that still exists. So it's like people are come here because they want to play shows all the time but it's like also there's like no music industry infrastructure here so it's like people come here because they purely love music and they purely want to play music all the time and they're maybe okay with that just being that like not everyone here 
wants to achieve something greater with music. Like it's, sometimes it's purely just for the love of it. But then it's like New York, like, I don't know, I'll let Sarah talk about the scene that's happening in New York, but it's just like, it's just interesting how these scenes like evolve within each other and are influenced by each other, even as far as like what people are wanting to achieve. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think like, I just think back to like when Jenna and I would talk about like what was so special about living and being in England and like witnessing music there, because we both do still to this day, like really love like the indie rock stuff that especially came out of England, I think between like 2012 and like 2019, like that was like a big point in our lives music wise. And like the thing that we really bonded over was just like how much going to shows anywhere in the UK felt like a shared group experience with the crowd. And like when I like even before like the TikTokification of concerts, like going to shows in New York, like other than like the Warp Tour era, like I never went to a show and like felt like everybody was getting lost in it in the same way that I felt like I was getting lost in shows when I went to when I went to shows in London. Yeah, like when absolutely. I would come back to New York in the summer and like go to gigs like it never like I could never replicate the feeling I had when I was seeing like Blind Avon or like the Amazons or somebody like in a tiny little UK venue like you would go to new, a show in New York and it was just like ne- like the feeling could not be replicated. <clears throat> um And it was just, yeah, it just felt very much like it was about like pints and moshing. Like that was the night in England. And like even like and even before like TikTok, it kind of felt like everybody's like phones out always at shows, you know? And then like it it, when I came back to New York, like I was trying to find that again. And then I didn't in like the year and a half I had between finishing grad school and COVID happening. And then once things started opening up again, the shows I would go to, the crowd was like fucking dead and there would just be like phones up, like everybody's trying to film shit. And it was like so painful (laughs) to like experience where I'm like, where is like the scene? Where is music? Whatever. And like I've been posting a lot on TikTok lately about just like New York music because I I've always been like so excited about like what. New York has to offer because having grown up like on Long Island, very close to the city, like spending most of my teens and like whenever I wasn't in London, in New York City, going to shows, experiencing it like you walk the streets of New York and you feel music history around you like you feel it in the air and like in the people and just like everywhere. And like and it's hard growing up in the shadow of the Strokes and Interpol and like TV on the radio because there was like a moment here that was like. I was alive during, but like not alive to experience. And like the moment that had happened before that was 25 years prior with the CBGB era. And so it's like you're chasing that you're trying to find it. And there will always be like like there's always been like a punk scene here. But like I'm not a punk kid. Like that's not for me. And like if I'm trying to find something, it's going to be like alt rock, like rock music, you know, kind of that kind of stuff. And last summer, I started working well, like this local band called Hairpin. I reached out to me to like take photos of one of their shows. And I was just like so blown away because it's like very much the music I like. I was like, this is so cool. If they're doing this, other people must be doing this. But they didn't know. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm going to figure it out myself because they were like, oh, yeah, there's other bands. But like the bands that they liked are like model actress who's like punk. And like, that's not the same music as them. And I'm like, oh, like that's like a New York moment. But like that New York moment's been here. Like there has to be something else. And I just was like, I don't know. I I feel like everybody goes through this, but it's like I just was like not 
willing to like put myself out there yet like just in the world where I was just like nah like going to shows where I don't know people doing that stuff sounds terrifying right now and then and, and then but I did like all I was doing all this research because I'm a crazy person <laughs> and I was like I'm gonna find all of the bands first and then figure it out um and I found them and there's so much going on here <laughs> and they're like no go Jenna can I hop in yes please <laughs> I'm taking over the story so the crazy thing is like Sarah and I had been talking about this behind the scenes um and then Sarah suddenly being very involved in the New York City music scene was literally <laughs> because I was like we need to grow our personal yeah. brands on social like t- in order to help the podcast grow and I was like we need to just like fully lean into like personal brands on TikTok and on the internet. Yeah. And like the second Sarah started posting about New York City rock scene, everyone just like like magnets, like flat, like they were <laughs> obsessed. They were like, oh my, but it was more so like, this is so needed of yeah. like, everyone is there, but the community, like everyone just loosely knows each other, like doesn't really know each other. And like fans want this, fans want to be part of a community. And then it's like, whoa, like someone, and, and I feel like it's almost like, I must be how people felt in like the early days of like blog era of like, like someone's talking about this. Like I've been waiting for this or like, I didn't know I needed this. And so it's been interesting, even from afar to watch how this has kind of played out over the past, like three months, even of Sarah, like just championing (laughs) this music because she like truly loves it. And like, it's suddenly coming together as like a more cohesive kind of connecting the dots. Yeah, it's been it's so crazy because there are so many bands here making music under the rock umbrella, like literally going for everything from like 70s rock to like pop music that can count as rock music. Like we have like everything is happening and there's so many people doing it and these people are so passionate about it. But it's that thing also where like when you live in New York, New York can feel like the center of the universe. And so it's been it's just like so interesting because like to these certain people, it's like, oh, well, we're having success in this bubble. And I'm like, OK, but that bubble needs to expand because I was posting about this stuff on TikTok and there were all these people in the comments being like, I didn't know this was happening. I've been like looking for shows. I've been looking for a local music scene. I love this kind of stuff. Like, why did I not know about this? And I'm like, because they already thought they had enough and they needed more. And like, I think that that's the thing too. And like, I'm sure you experienced this in LA of like people are in these cities and they're like so focused on like feeling successful and like wanting to feel like a moment that they forget that like, oh, me knowing all 500 people at the show doesn't care. Like I need... Like there, you need to have like like you personally as the artist knowing everyone there is not the goal. All of the fans should know each other. Like we, we want like fan community and like that's how you find success. And I feel like it's I'm st- like literally just in the past two months of going to these shows, I've like started to see it more. And it's just been very interesting because it feels as though a girl online excitedly yelling about something has given other girls the go ahead to show up and be excited because I've like gone to a couple shows where girls have come up to me and been like, I literally found out about this because you posted your playlist and now I'm here and I'm like, the girls are showing up and that's what you need. (laughs) The, the seeds are, are blooming. We love that blossoming and blooming. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think especially when we're in these mega cities and I think it's true to some degree for Austin, but especially for New York, L.A. and even London, when there's that much going on, everything gets drowned out in the noise. And it's not like you can just hop on Google and be like, you know, what's going on tonight without 
you know, the top results all being like big, obvious things, yeah. And, like, yeah. the yeah. things that will actually allow you to tap in. It's like you have to find that right person on TikTok or that right band that's really connected and talk to them and like get like you kind of have to find your in and that takes a second like like i said i've been here it'll be three years in august and i think only in the last six months i've found mine you know like i'm only starting to feel like i'm connecting locally which is great i think the last thing i want to talk about on this sort of topic is of course london which sarah you already touched on a little bit well london and in the uk in general I will say in addition to what you said about them having some of the most like engaged fans, which I a thousand percent agree, like (laughs) shows in the UK, festivals in the UK are the fucking best. Yeah, I think and I think that luckily, I think with like late millennials into Gen Z, there is more of an embracing of like a wider set of genres like people are more and more willing to like explore different music to explore what would traditionally be considered a high art versus low art or fucking whatever like people are less and less ashamed but I feel like that open-mindedness around listening to a lot of different genres of music and and being and even like artists collaborating with artists outside of their genre is so much more ahead in the UK than it is here Mm. you know like I remember I used to go to like so many showcases where I'd get to see like a like super experimental jazz artist an indie band and a pop act like all on the same lineup you know like, yeah. like, still one of my favorite things that I got out of living in the UK was getting into, like, the UK jazz scene. Like, oh, I, I still listen to, like, Sons of Kemet, who have now broken up, which I'm mad about, um, or, like, Ezra Collective. And, like, whenever they manage to cross the pond, like, and come here to L.A., I'm there in a heartbeat, you know? But, yeah, like, that's one thing I really cherished about my time there was just that that, that diversity could coexist as well as it did there. yeah. No, definitely. I think I mean, I feel like because England is such a small country, like there's so- a lot more space for like interconnecting things. But I mean, I don't know what your experience was in London, but my experience in London was I was trying to find a music scene in the same way that I had had one in regards to like the pop punk people that I hung out with in New York, because there very much was like a pop punk scene not so much local bands but like everybody would be going to all of the pop punk shows you know what i mean like there'd be like a group of like 40 of us that you would see at least half of them at all of those shows because london is such a spread out big city it kind of felt like every kind of area had like five bands that all knew each other and it was like very insular and it was very hard to like break into these groups and like my friend and like when I went back to grad school and then I made friends with bands who were coming down from the north, like bands from like Leeds and Manchester, like those cities felt more interconnected when it came to music scenes where it's like like it didn't matter if you play the same type of music, like everything was more spread out. Everything was more just like and like not just like spread out in regards to like you could go and there'd be like 50 bands and like people are just going to shows to go to shows, whereas like in London, it kind of felt like. People are going to shows just to see their friends and then like music fans would also be there, too. But it was like hard to like make a space for yourself as like an outsider. Whereas like here now, I came in very much feeling like I'm an outsider with experience. So like if you Google me, you're like, oh, like she knows what she's talking about. We'll let her in. But at the same time, everybody's been so welcoming. And I like never had that in London ever. Like it very much felt like I was forcing my way in places and people were like, who are you? What What are you doing? Mm, I think because I got involved with like the So Far Sounds community pretty mm. only like within a few months of like 
moving to London, yeah. a lot of my experience of, is of going to gigs kind of happened through that, you know, like okay, through the yeah. lens of whether it be a So Far Sounds show itself or like, you know, like people in that group being like, hey, I've got tickets to this thing. Like who else is coming? So yeah. I think that maybe I got lucky in that sense that like I sort of like fell into it already. Yeah. But yeah, so I didn't have that as much, but I could totally see that being a thing if if you haven't like already fallen into like a community of people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I think I think also it's kind of like I was so used to like working with bands that it was like, oh, like I'll just like go to shows, bring my camera, make some friends that are already there. And I think like it wasn't so much that I was seeking out the fan community side of things or like music supporters. It was more so like, oh, I just like want in because like it's always what I've done. You know what I mean? And so like when it was like harder, I was like, what is I was like, this is so stupid. Like, why are you guys being so weird? Like, <laughs> it was just like such it was such an odd experience to me because of like everything I'd done and worked on. Like I'd never had an experience where people were like so like no this is like a closed network if that makes sense yeah yeah again I think in that sense I just I got lucky but yeah but I I mean I I've seen that in other places for sure like it it takes a while to kind of like crack the nutshell like again I've definitely had that here but it does sound like all of us now are starting to kind of find our feet in our places you can listen to name three songs wherever you normally get your podcasts this podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lopercaro, and the artwork is by Meg Wilford. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.